chapter. First John is where we're going to go with chapter two. I want to give you guys a little, I want to set this up a little bit this morning because we've actually been studying this book with the high school students once a week as well. We've been just, we get together and we just read through the Bible. It's nothing really established. We just sit down and start reading scripture and start sharing ideas out of it. First John was written, history tradition would show around 90 AD in Ephesus is where he wrote this. This is in the latter part of John's life. So I really want you to hear not just God's heart this morning, but John's heart within this. You hear John from a, I'm a grandpa, and I can't wait till my kids are old enough where they can understand when I get to share the gospel with them when my grandkids get to be that age. This is John basically speaking to the young church of what it looks like to walk with God, okay? He gives them, he wants to reassure Christians in their faith, but also to counter false teaching. John emphasizes the need to obey God's commands, Hear me. This is where we find our assurance. He, he wants them to know, it, he emphasizes obeying God's commands. But there's also been some false teaching going around by the Gnostics that he wants to encourage the church not to listen to that, how to fight back against that, and how to go against those, those doctrines that we'll talk about in just a second. He also writes to the encouragers that they might find joy in the Lord. I can't remember whose name it was, but somebody said something to this effect. If you don't have joy in the Lord as a Christian, there's a leak in your Christianity. We should have joy no matter what we experience because our, experience is not, our joy is not found in our experience. Our joy is found in the one who is with us in the experience. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he teaches them that, but he also teaches them to find joy, yes, but also the assurance of living a life of purity before God and following his commands. That's all found within the book of 1 John. But John also wanted to teach them a guard against the false teaching of the Gnostics. I'm going to bring this down as simple as I can and as short as I can this morning to give you an idea of what the Gnostics were all about. Gnosticism was a heresy that began to infiltrate the church in the first century AD. It was the teaching of, it was just a mess, the teaching itself. It was derived from Plato. It was philosophical dualism. If I can put it that way, it wasn't one thing. It was a couple of different things, okay? The Gnostics were teaching that the believers could do whatever they wanted to in the flesh, and it would not impact them spiritually. I think we see that today. I think we see, I think we see teachings in the church that say, hey, if you're saved, doesn't matter what you do, send a word and deed every day, doesn't matter, God's not offended by that because you're good to go, it doesn't make any difference, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, they say all these different conversations, right? And that's what I talked about earlier, you got all these different conversations, how do I know? I think the Apostle John's going to show us how we know, but they were teaching people that what you could do and what you did in your flesh didn't make any difference according to God. They taught that sin was okay because it didn't impact me spiritually. That's what the Gnostics were teaching, brand new believers in a church. So it'd be like somebody coming in here this morning and saying, listen, I know you're saved and there's more to this than this, but here's what I know you're saved, but what you're doing out there doesn't really matter. You're good to go. And the Apostle John's like, that's not true because what does sin do? Sin separates me from God. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. The Gnostics were teaching that it, and not only that, but inevitably, you're going to sin. So don't worry about it. You're going to sin. It's okay. Do you think Jesus Christ died on the cross so you could sin? No. Jesus gave his life for us that we might not sin, that we don't have to do this anymore, that we're not a slave to sin, we're a slave to righteousness. But the Gnostics were teaching doesn't matter. Sin doesn't matter. And you're going to do it anyway. So just live life. Go ahead. It doesn't make any difference. They had an understanding, the Gnostics did, that sin was not a barrier to your relationship with God. Sin separates me 
from God. The Bible teaches that clearly, but the Gnostics were going a different direction. Bottom line was this. They were not keeping God's commands. They weren't keeping God's commands, and they were teaching everybody around you, you don't need to worry about it. They, they also taught this, that Christ really wasn't a man. That you needed a mystical higher knowledge to be saved. That there was a difference. Christ, some of the teaching was that Jesus was actually a ghost. He was a vision. He wasn't even real, really, because spiritual stuff and matter, the body, could not reside together. That the Holy Spirit of God, there's no way that would happen. So that's what the Gnostics were teaching. And I think when you read, if you, if you hang on to that idea, do me a favor because it's a really short book, okay? You got to know why the book is written when you read the Bible. I think that's very important because then we start to understand what the writer is trying to get at. We want to make it what we want it to be today, and we'll look at the applications today, but we've got to read. If you're not reading the introductions to the books, take the time to do that, please, because it will help you understand more clearly what's being written, because as I break this down this morning, I want you to remember they said Jesus wasn't real, and in 1 John chapter 1, John makes it very clear right at the front end of this book, Jesus, the one whom we saw, who we would see, and we would touch. He was real, in other words. So when you read that, you see he's writing to beat off the false doctrine of Gnosticism. That's how he's writing it. So as I break this down this morning, and that sin didn't make any difference to God, didn't have any hindrance on your life at all. Make sense? So as we read the few verses we're going to read this morning, I want you to hang on to that vein of what John was teaching, okay? So what I want to do this morning is I'm going to break this down. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to be reading out of the King James this morning. What I want to do is I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 first. And I'm going to give just a few touches on that, and then I'll get into the meat of the message in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. <clears throat> so if you would, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The title in this in the New King James, and that's what I'll be reading out of this morning. I, I hang on to this for a couple of different words they use, but really for the title of this. The test of knowing Christ. So the first thing the Bible shows us, they break this down, the commentators do, the test of knowing Christ. It says, this is John writing to the church. My little children, do you see the grandfather touch there? Do you see that he loves these people and he does not want them to go astray? But to do that, you, John says it this way, I have no greater joy than to know my children are walking in the truth. And I love this church and I love our pastor because he teaches us that every week. My little children... These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sin. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him not perish, but have eternal life. But it's offered. We have to receive it. And I know you guys are very clear on that part of it as well. But John's point is this. Listen, believers have no business sinning. We have no business in sin, you guys. Think about what we sang this morning. How great thou art. How much we love him. What he's done for us on the cross. And we're going to go back into sin? We, John's making it clear that we have no business sinning, you guys. We shouldn't be doing this. But if you do, because we are human, and we do have a free will, and we do have a supernatural foe, and we do have temptations. He said, you have no business sinning. You, listen, if you don't get anything else out of this this morning, listen to me very closely. You don't have to sin. You realize that? No, you don't have to. When a temptation comes up, you do not have to sin if you're a Christian. 
My Lord, you guys, we got the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We have victory over these things through Christ Jesus. We don't have to sin. If you're not in Christ, you're a slave to it. And you will sin. Because that you're a slave to. But we are slaves to righteousness. We don't have to. But if we do, God's given us an advocate. Jesus Christ, our propitiation, our atonement for our sin. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is where we go to to find forgiveness of sin. Not just to be redeemed into a relationship with him. But if, in, if you do blow it and you do fall into sin, I want you to know that we have an advocate. And we have to go to him to confess our sin. That's what John's getting across. So remember the Gnostics? Sin doesn't matter. They didn't consider sin a thing. That's why John's writing this. Because he's saying, here's the Gnostics, Christians. And here are you guys. You don't have to do this. But if you fall into it, that's exactly what happens. Instead of trying to overcome sin, true believers confess their sin. And they conquer it by walking in the light of Christ. The first thing you do, the first step in this is you're walking with God, you confess your sins, and the second thing is you forsake your sin. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us to lay aside all the things that entangle us, the sin that ensnares us. We're supposed to lay that aside. In other words, in here, I'm forsaking sin. I'm not doing this anymore. That's what John's trying to get across. And when we repent, I thought about repentance is a bigger deal than what we make it as Christians, I think. C.S. Lewis writes it this way. Now, repentance is no fun at all, because think about it. If I need to repent, I'm going through an enormous amount of conviction to begin with. And I don't know about you guys, but when I've been convicted, it's not been that enjoyable. So C.S. Lewis says, it's not, no repentance is fun at all. It is something that is much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. Lord, I'm dying to that. I am not doing that anymore. I don't want to be that way. Here's another way that you can have insurance. Unbelievers don't struggle with sin. If you're in this room and you've fallen into sin and you've given your life to Christ and unfortunately you've fallen into sin for a moment, I want you to know you have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. You need to confess your sin to him and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you need to know that that's true. But if you're in this room this morning and you've given your life to Christ and you are struggling in sin, that's, that's a good thing because that means you're being convicted. That means that it does bother you. That means that you know I'm comparing what I'm doing to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and you just need to know not to do it again. But it's not about trying harder not to do it again. It's about surrendering more of your life to Christ. I surrender to him. I receive more power that I can have victory over sin that way. And I can turn away from it. And I don't have to walk in it any longer. Let me give you a little saying. Don't be governed by sin. Be governed by God. If we allow God to govern our lives, we will not be governed by sin. So hang on to those few things. That's what John's trying to get across. And if you remember what the Gnostics were teaching, that's exactly what he's trying to get across to these guys. Sin does matter to God. He hates it. And he hates it because he knows what it does to his children. And it impacts the relationship with Christ himself. So we've got to make sure that we're staying away from these things, okay? So don't be governed by sin, be governed by God. That gives you a little bit of a look of assurance that I know, I know, I know that I know him because I am staying away from sin by his grace and by his mercy and to his glory, I'm staying away from it. Now I want to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is titled, The Test to Know Him. So there's a test here that we can know Him. And here's what John writes. 
Now by this we know him. We, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps or obeys his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we, that we, by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk Jesus as Jesus walked. So you see John making it very clear because four times in this, these three verses, four times he uses the word know. So we have assurance. We can know that we know him and that we're known by him. The apostle Paul tells us, you guys, all the time in scripture, but in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So this morning, I want, to, I want this to be an opportunity for you guys to really look at your hearts before God and go, okay, do I walk out of here with assurance? I, even if I'm in sin, I still have assurance that I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, even though I might have stumbled and fallen back in. Now I need to repent and get back right with him because what I'm doing is separating me from that relationship. I always have to ask, I've taught students this for a long time, and this is, I have little things in my head that help me a lot, little nuggets, if you will. Every decision I make is either going to harm or help my relationship with Jesus. Don't make it any harder than that. But we have to know his commands. To know if it's going to help or harm my relationship, I have to know his word. And I have to know the one who's going to convict me in those things and confirm to me that, yeah, Dan, that's a good way to go. So I want to look at three evidences or signs this morning that you can know that you can have assurance. One of them is going to be confirmation. The second one is going to be the compliance. And the third one's going to be your conduct. Because I want you guys to have that confirmation is the first thing we're going to look at. Because in verses 3 and 4, John tells us, Now by this we know, we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. I want to break that scripture down for just a few minutes, but that's where we're going to find our confirmation. It says, now by this, this is how we know. John says, now by this, or if you do these things, you will know. So ask yourselves, how are you at keeping his commandments? How are you doing? This is a time that we can search. Because Trust me, God's been beating me on, over the head with this for about 10 days now. And I've been searching my heart. And I want to know that I know him. I want to know if there's anything in my life that needs to be cleaned up. So he wants to know that the, the thing is, we can have confirmation we know him if we follow his commands. And these, these terms, the word know, to know him is not an aorist in the Greek. It's not a point action. To know him is in the present tense. It's no different than uh, uh, John 3.16. If, if I believe in him, I will have eternal life. It's the same thing there. That word believe is not I believed way back when. That word believe is in the present tense. I am believing. This is I am knowing. I am walking. I am being with him. I am knowing him every single day of my life. It's not that I know God from way back then. I'm, I know God right now, and that's what John's trying to get across. But the key word in this sentence, in my opinion, is the big word, if. I look at Scripture this way. If I do what he commands, I know him, and I have assurance that I do. But if I don't do what he commands, I don't have that assurance. Everybody wants to talk about eternal security in today's world, Right? I am eternally secure if I'm walking the one who provides the security for me. So I'm, I am eternally secure if I walk with him. If I don't, 
I don't have that assurance. I don't have that security any longer. And that's why I've often told everybody that'll listen to me, I say, I love God's commands in the Bible. I love reading. If you do the, how I read it is, if you do these things, Dan, you and I are good. If you don't do these things, Dan, you and I are not so good anymore. I haven't lost my faith. I haven't been seared my conscience. God hasn't turned me over to my own evil desires, but I got some stuff I got to clean up. If I'm going to walk with him, I got to agree with him, and I got some stuff that I got to get cleaned up. So I want to make sure that I know if, that word if. So you got to ask yourself if, am I doing this? Am I, am I following his commands? And what does he command us to do? I thought about this so much, and I was reading in my commentaries and doing study and thinking about this and praying. What are his commands? Oh my gosh, that is a wide array of things, right? But I boil it down to what Jesus considers to be the two most important. The two greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, Matthew says. This is the first and the greatest command. And the second is this, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So how are you doing? When it comes to following his commands, how are you doing? Love the Lord with your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Or do you love yourself more? You see that in, are you willing to follow what he shows you to do? Are you willing to follow what the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do and not do? So how are you doing with this? Are you loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And, are, and if you do that, are you loving your neighbor? We had a situation come up long ago with some high school students, and I'm not in a position, and I don't have the time to get into that this morning, but I taught the kids this. We've got to love God and his word first. See, we want to have a conversation with different communities that are in sin, okay? And what we want to do is we want to know how to love those people in that community. But we got to realize God, God loves us as a whole, but he loves us as individuals. Here's what I know. If we will take and we will follow this commandment where we love God with all of our heart first, and we, we stand on his word first, then we go into a community of sin, no matter what that sin is, and then I have the opportunity to speak to individuals' hearts. Because God's going to tell me what that person, not what that community of sinners, but that person that I'm engaged with, what does that person need to hear? But we got to love God first, otherwise we can't love our neighbors as ourselves. It doesn't work that way. So how are you doing with this commands? Because John says, if you follow these, you're okay. The truth, it says, and the truth is not in him. When John says that, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. The truth is the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Bible teaches us this, but when he, Jesus tells his disciples, but when he, the truth, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. Get that conviction? You know what's true and what's not true? That confirmation in your heart? If you're lacking that, you're in trouble. I tell people this all the time. I tried for 10 years. I prayed every day for 10 years. From the time I was about 28 till I was 38, I prayed every day, drunk, passing out, doing stupid things, in sin, but I prayed because I made God a deal over something that we talked about before. But I didn't know him. I didn't know him. I, I believed in him. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. Does that make sense? Before you get married, guys, you know your wife, but then you come to know her. That's what part of this knowing is all about, but the spirit of truth is what a person lacks if they're lying and they don't know him. The question here is this. Are you taking his commands seriously? Or are you trying to live them out? Not are you perfect, Adam. No, none of us are going to be perfect at this, you guys. But what we can be is perfect in response. That's my desire in life, is to be perfect in response. When God goes, don't, I want to go, okay. 
And then guess what happens? My behavior, my outward behavior becomes more in line with God. So I want to be perfect in response. I want to be immediately obedient to the things of God. Because we're not going to be perfect. John applies that when he says that person is a liar. He doesn't know the truth. And we got to know the truth. Assurance of our relationship with God is developed over time by trusting him. The more we trust him, the more we walk with him, the better we get to know him, the more I have that assurance that I know God. And that is, listen, you guys, please hear my heart. That is not a self-righteous thing. Don't you think for us, don't you let the world tell you that if you confess, I know Jesus and Jesus knows me. Well, aren't you just better than me? No, I'm worse than you and I know how much I need him. It's not self-righteousness. It's dependence on that relationship. It's me depending on that I have to know him. But I get that over time of walking with God. Our beliefs must line up with our behavior. As Christians, we can't talk the talk and not walk the talk, can we? Our beliefs have to line up with our behavior. And I really believe if we do what John says here and we follow his commandments, it will. Don't make it any harder than that. If I love him first, I can love others later and I will love myself because I love him. I was first loved by him first. That's how that works. The second thing is this, is compliance. We have to be, we have to be in compliance with God here. And, and verse 5 says this, but whoever keeps or obeys his word... Truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this, again, we know that we are in him. So you can have assurance. If you love him, you know and you obey him. This, this to keep, but whoever keeps is a military term. I'm going to guard. Do you guys guard your faith? Or do you hold it loosey-goosey? Think about your life. Are you guarding and protecting and keeping my faith close to my heart? Or are you just living through life like, yeah, it's all good. doesn't really matter. I'm good. I prayed. I'm, I'm all right. Or do, are you guarding your heart? This is a military term that John uses. And basically it means this. Don't forget. As you live your life every single day, don't you dare forget what we sang about this morning, that Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. He gave his life for you. You've been forgiven from sin. You've been brought from death to life. And we walk around as Christians a lot of times, not many people in this church, hear my heart, but just as Christendom goes, people walk around and they forget. Or they at least live like it. They don't act like they remember that they've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for them. Drank the cup of the wrath of God that was meant for me. We don't want to forget these things. I never want to forget what God's done for me. And if I remember that, it will prompt me, cause me to live my life differently. Obeying is living in accordance with God's moral standards. I really believe what we're seeing in our nation today, you guys, is this. I believe we're taking God's moral standards as a, as a nation and we're putting them to the side. And you got to remember, there is no void in life. If we take God's moral standards, I hope this helps you guys maybe see the landscape of the land a little better. Because obeying God is keeping his moral standards. If we're not obeying God, we're taking God's moral standards and we're putting them over here. And what follows that is you see the depravity of a man's heart. You see that you see our land, the morality of our land is doing this. And we're thinking, well, what's going to happen? No, that's why we see the depravity of man coming right behind it. Because nothing makes sense today, does it? God makes sense. Depravity doesn't make sense. And you see all the upheaval and all the chaos going on in the world. That's what's happening. So listen, every house, every home, if we live for God, that impacts, that pierces the darkness. 
Don't let it get bigger than what it is. You go right back to your own home and you say, how are we doing here? That's what you've got to ask yourself. And then from there, we live our lives in the, in the community and in in, as we go about our, our lives. So obeying him means this. It's not just to have head knowledge, but it's also to have a love for God. A love that we understand that is perfected. As we obey and keep God's word, John says your love is perfected. It means this. Let me see if I can give you guys a picture. To watch God's love being perfected is this. God loves you. Do you know that? God loves you. But do you love him? Perfected love is this. God loves me. And it comes from God's love down to me. I love because I was first loved. And then I go, it goes all the way back up full circle. And I love God. God loves me and I love God. That's God's love being perfected because it's taken, received, and given back. It's received and given back. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do you demonstrate your love back to God? Are you keeping his commands? Is your love being perfected? Because if God loves me, it comes around this way, and then I love God, and that love for God is, per is perfected. And that's where we see that. John's not saying here that we are saved by obedience. Please make sure on that. We are saved by the grace of God that no man shall boast. That's it. What John is saying that you have to have fruit along with that. James talks about the same thing. Faith without works is dead. <clears throat> this is not a salvation's work message. It is a response to salvation message. This is my response. This is what it should look like when I'm changed. And Jesus says, or Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. We are a new creation. And because we love God perfectly and because I've been saved, that my life lives out differently because of that. It's like I often say, we have the answer for everything in the world, you guys. And you guys have heard me say this before. We have the answer for everything. It's Christianity. People who have had their hearts changed by Christ don't do nasty things to each other. There's no child sex trafficking. There's no rape. There's no abortions. There's no murders. There's nothing. If you live for Christ and your heart's been changed, are you out doing that? Then we have the answer. The answer is not a new law, a new thing. It's Jesus. He's the answer. Hearts changed, walk differently for God, obeying him. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. Jesus says this, if you love me, you keep my commands. Perfect love. He loved me, I love him. If you love me, you keep my commands. He makes that very clear. There's a lot of different reasons why people choose to do things. One of the reasons is I have to. <laughs> Students, young people, you have to clean your room, whether you want to or not, Right? Some people, it's a military term. They have to do what they're told in the military. Second one is maybe a job. I have to do what I do at a job because I need a paycheck. I need to do it. First one is I have to do it. The second one is I need a job, so therefore I'll do what I'm told at work because I need a paycheck. The third one is this, I do it because I want to. Do you live your life for Christ because you want to or because you have to? At first, I think as Christians, we need to. But then it turns into, I want to live my life for Christ. I want to walk like this. I want to bring him glory in all that I do. John says it this way in 1 John 5, 3. He says, um, this is God's love to keep his commands. This is what it looks like to love God is to keep his commands. And you guys, his commands are not burdensome, John says. Are you walking in life in such a manner that God's commands are burdensome for you? 
That's not, man, I want to love God with all my heart and love my neighbor. I don't want to love my neighbor. I hate my neighbor. I like to see my neighbor fall off the face of the earth. See, God's commands are not burdensome. If they are burdensome, I pray that you would go to God and ask him to lighten that load. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not burdensome to follow God. Love means putting others first and being unselfish. Love is an action. It's not a word. It's an act. True love, I love this, true love for others is loving them the way they want us to love them. Loving someone is not loving them the way I want to love them. Loving someone is loving them in a way that meets their needs. Loving them in a way that they communicate. I don't love my wife the way I want to love her. I love her the way she needs loved. I love her the way she'd like me to love her. I love Jesus in the way he wants me to meet his commands. I love Jesus in the way that he wants me to love him. I don't make him love me the way I want to be loved. Does that make sense to you guys? I don't do it my way. I do it God's way. How's that? That's probably a simpler way to put that. John's making it very clear that part of loving God is not just about head knowledge. You cannot separate love and action. They've got to go together, you guys. That's where we find that assurance. And again, it does not mean that you're not going to slip up. And I love the word obedience because that's one thing if you, I've often told people this and I tell my wife this, if I could put one word on my tombstone when I pass away, you know what it is? Obedient. Man, I want to be obedient to God. I just desire so bad to walk in his ways. But obedience is this as well, you guys. It means that you repent and you confess your sins when you blow it. That's part of obedience as well. We get this thing stuck in our head that I got to be obedient. I got to be obedient. I got to walk in obedience. Walking in obedience is a good thing. Living life following God's command is a good thing. But when you slip, you stumble, and you might fall if you do, being obedient is also coming back to God and confessing your sin. Because think about it. If you're walking in sin in this room right now, the last thing you want to do is go back and sit on dad's lap. Remember when you were a kid and you blew it? Who'd you want to talk to the least? Dad. When we get back in sin, who do we want to go talk to the least? The one who will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So being obedient is going back to God and saying, Lord, I blew it. In the smallest of things, if I'm short with my wife, fellas, if I'm short with my wife, man, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't just apologize to my wife. I'm sorry, Lord, help me to clean that up and not do that anymore. That's kind of a constant conversation with me, God, if you will. So I don't know if I'm the only guy in the room that has to go through that, but it is about going back and confessing that to God. Obedience provides a clear indication that you know him. What's your motive? Not, let me ask you this, not how are you doing, but is your motive to keep his commands? Then I can look at this is my motive, this is how it's working out. Because it's a clear indication. The last thing is, is our conduct. And I'll breeze through this pretty quickly. Verse 6 says this in, our, in regards to our conduct. He who says he abides in me ought himself also walk just as he walked. How did Jesus walk? Self-sacrificially. Jesus walked self-sacrificially on this side of heaven. Romans 5 through 6 says this, when, and I'm paraphrasing. When the time was right, Jesus came and died for those who were his enemy. Those who hated him. But he came and he died self-sacrificially. He came and he gave his life to us. And walking with Jesus, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. Walking with Jesus, he's fully God and fully man. I walk in the pattern that Jesus walked in. I'm not going to go out and feed 5,000 people this afternoon. I'm not going to go out and and heal some guy from the blind today. I'm not talking about that kind of walk because that kind of walk is impossible for us to do because I'm not God. But when you look at the humanity side of Jesus and how he walked, that's how we should follow him. Talk is cheap. 
Talk is very cheap. We just need to pattern our lives after Christ. Here's what Jesus did, just a couple of things. He resisted sin. In Matthew 4, 11, 4, 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, he resisted sin. How did he do it? We all know the answer to this. Most of us do. He resisted it by knowing the word of God. He did better. Adam didn't take God at his word in the garden, and he fell. Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And what did he tell Satan when Satan came at him? It is written. You have to know Ephesians 6, when Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit, it's the only offensive weapon we have as a Christian, is the sword of the Spirit. That's the Word of God. If you're not reading the Word of God, you, are, you have no weapons. You're going to get smoked by Satan because you have nothing to fight against him with. But if we know the sword of the Spirit, the rhema, memorizing Bible verses and doing all these different things, then we can fight. That sword of the Spirit, as you, many of you know, is a little dagger it means hand-to-hand -hand combat. We are going to be in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the devil at times in our lives. And we have to know that how we fight him off is by the word of God. Jesus also was willing to serve. The, the Son of Man came to serve and not be served and give himself as a ransom for the world. Are you giving yourself a ransom for your family? Are you sacrificing yourself? And saying life's not about me, it's about Christ. It's, I, was, I was watching a video this morning on a lady who was once an atheist and now she's not. She said, I was married when I, was, when I didn't know God was married, got divorced. Now I'm married to a man who loves Jesus more than he loves me. Do you have that same confession as a husband and wife? Do you love Jesus more than you love each other? Jesus was also here to do the will of his Father. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The question is this, in your life, do you want what you want more than what God wants? And are you willing to do God's will by following his commands and doing these things? Because if you are, you have assurance that it's going to be okay. Jesus prayed constantly. And his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why did they say that? Because they saw him doing it. And they wanted to know how to do these things. We can pattern that. And Jesus forgave. We better forgive. That's another pattern that we've got to pay attention to. It says, if we abide in him, I will have the desire for him. I'm going to close. Casey, if you would come up here on the stage, we're going to close with the song. But Jesus says this in John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Listen, you guys, closely. This is where we find our assurance or lack thereof. If you remain in me and I am in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you, re if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and, and withered. And such branches we picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. We're supposed to live for God's glory here on this side of heaven. Jesus says the same thing. To my Father's glory, that you will, you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. That's that full circle, perfected love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. See the pattern? Walk with God. Perfect love casts out sin. John makes that very clear. Striking to me how much John 15 and 1 John chapter 2 link together. That if we, bear, we will bear much fruit, if we obey him and keep his commands and love one another. That's how you bear much fruit. Here's what I know. That which you love, you pursue the most. Or that which you pursue, you love the most. Do you love him?
Are you pursuing him? Because here's what we know. We can't do that in our own strength. We do that by his grace. His enabling grace empowers me to live out this life that John talks about. And then we can have full assurance that we know him. I want to close with the song. And as always, the altar is always open. You may be in this room and you may be like, I don't know him. And I don't have assurance that I know him. Or you may want to just come up here and pray, Lord, I want to just thank you for knowing you for, and to be known. The altar's open. If you guys want to make a trip to the altar to have a conversation with God, no matter what that is, you're more willing to do that. If not, you can stand. Let's stand and we'll sing along with Casey in this song. Are the words on the screen? Anyway, stand and we'll, we'll sing along with Casey. Most of you will know this song. The song's called, and I hope this is our confession, Lord, I need you. Yes. Yeah.
So I pray for you this morning that you find that assurance in your heart, that you know him and you're known by him. And if not, all you got to do is talk to God. Don't have to leave this room, go home, wherever you have that conversation. It's not special words. It's a surrender. Lord, I need you. That's the confession that Christians make and that non-believers make. We need him. And he came to enable you to live out the life that he called you to. But I want you to know, according to what John taught us, we can have that assurance in our heart that we know him. Amen? I pray that for you guys today. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father in heaven, you are good. And I'm so grateful for your word, Lord, especially in a lost world. Your word is such a bright light for us to hang on to and follow and hope and joy and encouragement in the middle of despair and darkness and just destruction, what seems to be going on in our world. I pray that you give us a special hunger for your word, Lord, because through that we'll learn your commands. We'll learn who you are and what you've done for us. And then we can have that assurance in our heart that we know you and that we are known by you. So I just pray for each person today that your Holy Spirit would minister to their hearts and let them know where they're at and that they would clean up whatever they need to clean up and just be obedient to whatever you tell them to do. May we leave this place today and walk in your grace and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys, you're dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.